Resolute Square. Welcome to The Zero Line, produced by Resolute Square. I'm Sergeant Sarah Ashton Cirillo of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, and every week we'll be bringing you inside Ukraine's war for liberty and liberation against the Russian enemy, while explaining how a victory by us on the battlefield isn't just vital for the Ukrainian people, but for the world as a whole. We will push back against the lies regarding this war for freedom and take you straight to the front lines of the fight for democracy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Zero Line. I am Lisa Senecal, executive editor with Resolute Square, and I am, as always, honored to be here with Sarah Ashton Cirillo. Uh, Sarah, welcome to the show, and I will let you give your title because it keeps getting longer. Lisa, it's good to be here as usual. You know, although there's been starts and stops with the Zero Line podcast on Resolute Square, we are now entering double digits in episodes. I would recommend to everyone to go back and listen to some of the earlier episodes, especially ones that were taking place in the field. As mentioned in the past, I am a former infantry soldier of the Armed Forces of Ukraine. I'm now a junior sergeant and advisor in the main directorate of moral and psychological support for the Armed Forces of Ukraine. And currently, I'm in the United States wrapping up a whirlwind tour which took myself and my commander to the halls of the Capitol, where I spoke to you last week. I spoke to you as we were beginning the tour last week of speaking to policymakers and speaking to elected officials. Then I went to New York City, where I addressed our colleagues. I'll say ours because we're both journalists in uh, our hearts, even if I'm serving in the military right now, at the Foreign Press Correspondence Awards. And ultimately, now I am in Miami for some meetings. I will be heading back to Washington, D.C. to wrap up some final touches before returning to Ukraine and the front line of this war for liberty and liberation against the Russian autocrats, the despots and tyrants, along with those who are supporting Vladimir Putin's criminal regime. Before we get into the really important work that you've been doing while you've been here in the States, you're... Also on a mission in Miami to liberate your car. <laughs> you, you're, um, I don't know if anyone's aware of the way you ended up in Ukraine as a journalist and then decided to volunteer for the military to fight the Russian invasion. And because of that, when you leave your car at an airport, and then you decide you're going to volunteer in a foreign war. Your car gets left behind where you thought it was okay for two weeks. Lisa, I really appreciate you as my editor for Resolute Square. However, in this moment as my friend, for those who maybe you're listening on Spotify or Apple or any of your favorite podcasters. If this is running on YouTube, if Resolute Square runs it on YouTube, I don't think I have been blushing this badly because I was not expecting, Lisa, for you to bring up this part of the story. And many people had not heard this part of the story, just my just my commanders, who when I would be complaining to them over how much money I was spending every month. But when I said to someone last night, why am I, why are you in Miami, Sarah? And I said, I have to get my car. They said, what do you mean? You've been in Ukraine for 22 months. It was something out of modern day Gilligan's Island. 
as we had talked about prior and as it's been covered, but but for those listening for the first time, I went to Ukraine for two weeks in a journalistic capacity to write about the human rights situation and refugees. That was it. Parked my car at the airport, got a good deal from an app. I don't want to give them free advertising, but got a good deal from the app. So I was, you know, given, I think, one month at, at, at lower cost, and I was going to be returning. 22 months later, my car is exactly how it's been left. And every few months, I receive a phone call from the hotel where it's parked. And I'm asked, do I want to let the car be towed or will I be willing to pay another $300 per month for the cost? And over this time period, it's been over almost $7,000, $6,600. And there's been several times where volunteers tried, as you said, to liberate it. But they just didn't want to deal with it. You know, they came down and either one time the gas was empty because it had been there so long. Another time the towing situation in Miami was going to take so long that the volunteer didn't have time to help me. So finally, I had a couple of days between meetings in New York and Washington, gave my speech the other night at the Foreign Press Correspondents Awards, and I have a meeting in Washington on Friday. I said, let me finally deal with this. And as we were talking before the show, Sometimes when you have a time capsule, I know a few of the items that are left in the car, including my retainer, one of the gravest issues to my psychological health while I was in uh, Ukraine was the fact that I would feel my teeth moving and knowing that I had my retainer there in the car and I didn't bring my retainer with due to the fact that I didn't want to lose it in Ukraine. And instead, it was left behind in Miami. So that's where I'm going after the show. Right, because you can do that for two weeks, right? You can not wear your retainer for two weeks. You can do anything for two weeks. Yeah, sorry for speaking over you, but absolutely. I think as journalists and as people who are willing to put ourselves into maybe uncomfortable or unfamiliar positions, and you do that in in the fight for democracy in the United States, the principals and, and contributors to Resolute Square do that on a daily basis in the United States. We're always putting ourselves into uncomfortable positions in order to push freedom forward. Well, for me, it was just going to be two weeks in and out, and little did I realize that I I was going to be on the front lines of history in watching this battle against modern-day tyranny, modern-day, and we'll use this word, which we try to avoid, but it's correct, modern-day fascism and how it has expanded its clutches into the in, into the mass media and not just in the genocide against the Ukrainian people but we see what Russia is doing now in their alliance with Iran and North Korea what they're doing in supporting Hamas what they're doing in supporting the Burmese dictatorship what they're doing in trying to influence american opinions uh, and trying to continue their efforts to infiltrate the American political system. And so I guess $6,600 to have parked a car was in some ways ridiculous. But the reasons that I stayed behind in Ukraine were very much not ridiculous. There's, there's no other way to put it. We are dealing with our most serious crisis when it comes to democracy and liberty across the globe. And again, the reason I'm proud to be affiliated and a contributor to Resolute Square is because while you and the others are handling it on the home front, 
I was trying to make certain to to watch over it and to make sure we had liberty and liberation in the international arena. But over the last week, we have seen that the two areas are becoming very murky. And that's something that we have to be very careful about, on guard about, and willing to fight against as we enter the 2024 election cycle in the United States. Yeah, I'm really glad you you used the word fascism. A year ago, people were shocked by the term authoritarianism being floated out there. Fascism is absolutely not too far to go at this point. And it's really, words matter, as you know. And when Russia is working so hard to influence elections around the world, but definitely in the United States and public sentiment in general on on a whole host of issues, if we aren't willing to call what's happening what it is by its name, it's the spread of fascism, then we're doing a disservice to everyone. The overall media does a disservice when they shy away from using the words that need to be used. People need to be alarmed. It's it's beyond time to be alarmed about the spread of fascism around the globe. It's making real strides. And um, so obviously we really appreciate what you're doing. And and I want to hear more about your trip. You've been back in the States. This is your third trip, fourth trip. This is my third trip. I was here one year ago for the final week of the session when they Congress was attempting and ultimately were successful in passing the National Defense Authorization Act for 2023. Then I was here in May on a follow-up where we were discussing some of the supplemental issues and the progress of what was taking place in uh, the front lines of this war against Russia, specifically in my experiences at that point of having been a frontline soldier, a zero-line infantry soldier for over four months at that point. And now I've returned. And on this trip, my portfolio was slightly different. I was not here to lobby for $61 billion. It's necessary, but there were others in that position. I was here to discuss what was taking place on a psychological and moral level when it came to the 1 million plus troops serving in the Ukrainian armed forces, along with their families, the civilians who are being affected by now 10 years of war, not 22 months of war, but 10 years of war, and also in an area that might even have the greatest importance, to discuss the ideas that surround a democratic Ukraine, a Ukraine that values freedom. And what does that mean specifically for my mini delegation that I attended with, including my commander, was to discuss Ukraine's interaction with journalists, the idea of free press, even during a special law or martial law period, the idea on how victory on the battlefield is meaningless without making certain that we have these strongly constructed pillars of democracy moving forward in Ukraine and elsewhere, which means a right to the media to investigate that they would not have in an autocracy. We don't shy away from investigative journalism. We don't try to hide anything outside of the normal specters of operational security on the front. But the armed forces of Ukraine 
is well aware that journalists are heroes. And that was my message to the members of Congress. And that was my message to the Foreign Press Correspondents Awards. But we'll back up one one moment. I want to give a shout out. And this is one area where you and I and uh, some others with Resolute Square don't always see eye to eye. Maybe in some ways, I'm an apologist for Republicans, specifically Republicans on Capitol Hill. Because ultimately, we have the J.D. Vances, we have the Jim Jordans, we have the Paul Gosars and the Andy Biggs. They are absolutely fascist if in, in their terminology, if not in their belief system. Uh, Paul Gosar and Andy Biggs are fascist, right? J.D. Vance may very well just be a performative artist. And Jim Jeffords is, is somebody who is doing what it takes to be relevant. Jim Jordan, not Jeffords. Uh, so I was thinking Vermont, back to your uh, your place. And, and Jim, 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 Jim Jeffords is still very, God rest his soul, very near and dear to. Yes, I, I apologize. Pretty much Jim all Jordan. the hearts of the yes. state. <laughs> I was thinking about the good people of Vermont. And Jim Jeffords, for, for all of his uh, 25 years ago, for, for how he controlled the narrative in Washington, D.C., For a short time, he was most definitely not a fascist. So you have the Jim Jordans, the J.D. Vances, the Andy Biggs, the Paul Gosars, who are operating in a sphere that allows for conversation to become normalized that very much should not be normalized, conversation that would have fit in in the 1930s in Germany and Italy. But there's really strong Republicans such as State Senator Tom Brewer of Nebraska, two-time Purple Heart Award winner. He served in Afghanistan and Iraq. Colonel, when he retired, he's now a multi-term state senator in Nebraska. And when I flew there to Washington, he flew in also. And why did he fly in? Because he wanted to talk about the genocide of Ukrainians. Now, he's been to Ukraine five times. He's been to the front lines three times, including the front lines with me, as he wanted to have a better sense of what was happening. And why am I bringing up State Senator Brewer? Because he was wanting to focus on an issue that doesn't get discussed, but ties in directly to the genocide, which is the $29 billion in agricultural theft and losses by the Ukrainian people during this full-scale invasion. And so in meeting with multiple members of the Nebraska delegation, many of them elected in their own right, if not the legislative aides to to some of the offices, what was our focus on? Our focus was on how can the people of Nebraska assist the people of Ukraine? How can the policy leaders and elected officials in Nebraska assist in making certain that we would have a democratic and victorious Ukraine? Well, guess what? Food stability matters. Global stability matters. And this was the intersection. People want to talk about intersectional issues. The intersectional issues of of democracy and freedom tie into hunger and famine. The very first summit we went to, my commander and I, was the Africa Summit for Future Technology. And the Russia issue came up. The Russia issue of how they manipulate disinformation off of the African continent, the Russian pillaging of Africa when it comes to the Wagner Group and stealing precious metals, but also the food stability. So how were we focused on trying to alleviate that and eradicate that? 
Well, we find allies where we can. We find patriotic elected officials where we can. The entire delegation from the state of Nebraska on Capitol Hill, led by State Senator Tom Brewer on the ground there in Omaha and in Lincoln and and across the entire state, are trying to figure out ways that they can work directly, not with weapons, although they're needed, maybe not with media in the case of what I was focused on. So ultimately, we are finding these allies where we can in order to stabilize democracy across the world. So when the Republicans were getting beaten up on over the negotiations for the $61 billion, border security, and some of these other questions, I was on Capitol Hill with Republicans who were trying to solve problems. Let's take it to the Democrats. We met with members of the Progressive Caucus. Members of the Progressive Caucus, very strong supporters, free speech, very strong supporters, human rights. They were extremely interested in finding out what was happening with war crimes. You know, the Department of Justice has a special war crimes area focused on Ukraine. We were getting questions about that, and I also received hard questions from the Progressive Caucus as to what does victory mean, and how are we able to carry out victory in alignment with what they view as American values. And so we were not shying away from those who maybe were critical of our policies and and actions according to the media in Ukraine. And so I was over there to speak to both Democrats and Republicans, to speak to solidly red conservatives and, and progressives, and to make certain they understood that after 22 months, we have a clear vision of what's taking place. We have a clear vision of what's necessary to have a democratic Ukraine, and we have a clear vision as to what's needed for Ukraine to be a world leader, be it in food production or be it in human rights. And so that was the gist of my five days on Capitol Hill. And from there, we went up to New York City for meetings with the media. And as I said, it culminated with a speech I gave at the Foreign Press Correspondents Awards. That issue of food stability or food instability and the the theft of food from the Ukrainian people now has to be an incredibly uh, powerful, terrifying, re-traumatizing issue for a lot of people living there because starvation was used as a form of genocide against the Ukrainian people before and millions died. Um, so you know, the power of withholding food, um, either to persuade, uh, weaken the will of people or to just flat out kill them, that's not an abstract construct or concept for the Ukrainian people. The people have family who, you know, there's very real memory and and passed down history of what that genocide at the hands of Russia was. That's why when somebody like Senator Brewer comes to the front lines, it's not just about watching an M777 get fired. It's not just about seeing the results of a HIMARS attack that destroys a Russian control center. What it is, is about understanding, as you said, the history of the people 
who are fighting for their literal lives. And when Senator Brewer speaks to a family whose grandmother or grandfather was literally starved in the Holomador, which was the famine, the Stalin-made famine, not just a man-made famine, but a Stalin-instructed ordered famine that was covered up, by the way, by U.S. media in the 1930s. No one knew what was happening, and U.S. media at the time was complicit in making certain that there was a different picture of what Stalin's Kremlin regime looked like. So when we have leaders such as as the senator coming there and saying, hey, what's really happening? How does this affect you? And you just mentioned it, Lisa, generational trauma. This is why Ukrainians were willing to have the Orange Revolution. This is why they were willing to have Maidan. This is why they are fighting with rifles and Molotov cocktails still to this day, if necessary, to drive the Russians out of their land. Because less than 100 years ago, there was an attempt to eradicate most, if not all, of Ukraine at the hands of the Kremlin. And what do we have now in 2022 and what started in 2014? An attempt to also eradicate Ukraine. And the Ukrainian people have stood up to it. And ultimately, moving forward, We're going to see that Ukraine's victory, and there will be a complete and total victory against the Russians, will be a signifier to other groups that are suffering under dictatorial regimes, fascist regimes, be it in Iran with the theocracy, be it in North Korea, which is collapsing upon itself, if not for uh, external uh, state actors that are propping them up. The people will understand that freedom is something that comes from inside and that can be had because Ukraine's victory will signify to the world that tyranny will never triumph in the long term over freedom and fascism will never triumph in the long term over democracy. One of Putin's great miscalculations in this war was not recognizing the degree to which there would be a civilian resistance that wouldn't be crumbled because of the history in Ukraine. This is not a foreign um, situation. This isn't the unknown, that these are people who have had to fight to be free, to have their country, to have a democracy. It's not something that they can never imagine having to fight for because there's been little time when they haven't been having to fight for it to some degree. Um, So thinking that you're just going to roll in and uh, whatever the standing number uh, in the army was, was all you were going to have to contend with was just a spectacularly ignorant attitude for an invading force to go in with between that and uh, you know their idea that somehow they were going to be you know greeted with open arms and have daisies tossed at them you know instead they ended up having old women old women putting sunflower seeds in their pockets hoping that they would grow when their berries were when their bodies were buried after being killed on Ukrainian soil for invading I'm glad that Resolute Square exists to talk about some of these lesser reported uh, aspects 
of fights for freedom across the world. Let's talk about the standing army number. It was 200,000, Lisa, 200,000 professional soldiers. Ultimately, we're now at a million, a million, 800,000 civilians signed up, rushing to be uh, given the right to defend their country. And then sometimes you hear rumors, oh, people don't want to serve. The vast majority, when I say vast, probably 85 to 90 percent of the population is supporting the war effort actively. What do I mean by that? Not every hero has to wear a uniform. The civilian population of Ukraine truly are heroic. Fundraising efforts are tremendous, making certain that the soldiers understand they're not forgotten. The logistics operations are going to go down as history-making when it's seen how you can take a country as large as Ukraine that has not had flights of any sort beyond some helicopters and military uh, jets fighting on the front lines, but no civilian air infrastructure for almost two years now, and yet logistically we're able to supply a million troops on the front lines. Then you have the Ukrainian resistance. Other people may call them diaspora. I call them Ukrainian resistance. No matter where in the world Ukrainians are, they are pushing back against this notion that Putin is going to be able to ever conquer their land. And so therefore, you said it best. There was a miscalculation, a misjudgment, whether it's hubris, whether it was just plain arrogance or some sort of mental health challenge for Putin to not recognize what he was walking into. At this point, over 300,000 Russian troops have been taken off the battlefield, either through grievous injury or death, and more are being killed every day. Make no mistake, Vladimir Putin is genociding his own people as well in a misguided effort to think that he can conquer a land that is not only unconquerable, but is a beacon of hope, freedom, and light in the center of Europe. No, hence his reason for wanting to conquer Ukraine, because it's so very different than than Russia. And having a, a democratic, uh, thriving, democratic, free nation as a neighbor, when you're trying to convince your people that oppression and poverty and you know, massively restricting rights is the best way to live. And it's very easy to see there are alternatives and they're so close by. When we get accused, and when I say we, when the armed forces of Ukraine is accused of stifling free speech, stifling individual rights, the freedom that exists within Ukraine, even during martial law, is innumerably larger and more extensive than the freedoms that the individual has than Russia does on a daily basis, even prior to the full-scale invasion and and outbreak of full-scale war. And that makes my job easy in a sense when I'm having to answer questions about it because the facts speak for themselves. Media has the right to do investigative reporting. People have the right to protest. There's people on the streets of Odessa and Kiev every week protesting, not against the war, but protesting against why maybe more is not being done at local governmental levels to focus on the soldiers versus maybe why are you paving streets instead of sending drones. But the idea is this. They have the right to assemble. 
And the reporters have the right to cover the stories. And ultimately in Russia, not only do you not have a right to assemble, even holding up a piece of paper can get you five or seven years in jail. Yesterday on the way to the airport, my commander and I were in a Uber being driven by a Georgian immigrant. So the country of Georgia, which has been invaded by Russia, had part of its land taken by Russian-backed separatists, has had their political system hijacked by the Kremlin, told us when he found out we were from you know Ukraine and that we were Ukrainian soldiers, he said, you have to win. Because if you don't win, every other country will immediately fall. And they're not so afraid over territorial integrity. Georgia's had to deal with this for 15 years. What the people of Georgia and the people of the Caucasus and the people of the Baltic states all realize and recognize is the Russian Federation and what they want to do under this idea of Ruski Mir or Russia's world is to create a bunch of mini satellite states not any different than what we saw with the Warsaw Pact. And they want Belarus and the style of Belarus's dictatorship to be extended. And that means no freedoms, no rights, and basically enslaved labor to carry out the whims and wills of the Kremlin. Yeah, that's terrifying and and so important for people to keep top of mind that this is this is not just a Ukrainian conflict. This is a fight between fascism and freedom and democracy. Right now, you know, I, I, I hope more stories are being written now, giving people a much better sense of uh, how the money that the U.S. has been putting into the Ukrainian effort, how much of that actually stays in the United States because of a production standpoint, we're, we're not just we're not sending boatloads of cash. We're paying for weaponry and other types of support that are being created and sold in the United States and going to Ukraine. So it has actually created jobs in the United States. And I'm certainly not saying that the way we want to create a booming economy in the U.S. and create jobs is by having conflicts in other parts of the world that we can be suppliers for. But in this case, it is preventing the United States from having to spend massively more money down the road and, God forbid, send U.S. military personnel on the ground, which we certainly do not want to have American blood getting spilled in foreign conflicts Again, the best thing we can do to make sure that doesn't happen and to make sure the U.S. doesn't end up spending far more money trying to defeat Putin down the road is to give Ukraine what it needs. Just give them everything they need now, not spread out over time right now. You said it best. You put it succinctly, and I will just reiterate your points. No one wants the military-industrial complex to be leading from the front. Currently, the military-industrial complex is in operation because it's needed to produce the weapons necessary to destroy and defeat evil. Furthermore, when the money is being allocated, as you mentioned, 
well over 50% of the money that has been allocated to Ukraine aid stays within the United States, including in J.D. Vance and Jim Jordan's districts in Ohio. So well-paying, high-paying jobs are being produced with aid that is intended not just for Ukraine, but to our European allies, to our allies in Taiwan, to our allies across the globe. And ultimately, the Biden administration's slow walking of the weapons uh, allocation has been frustrating. The war could be over by now. So not only have we not spilled U.S. soldiers' blood in this war, and hopefully we will not have to lose any soldiers in any foreign wars moving forward, but it could have been over to the point that we're not spilling any more Ukrainian blood or Russian blood. There's no desire among the Ukrainian people to march on Moscow. There's no desire of the Ukrainian people to take out vengeance or vindication against the Russian enemies. The Ukrainian people simply want to return to the country's 1991 borders and the implementation of President Zelensky's 10-point peace formula. One of the most frustrating aspects about all the discussion regarding the $61 billion and when they say what comes next is that the entire standpoint of what comes next has been laid out by President Zelensky in this peace formula, which has been endorsed by more than 70 nations. Return to the country's 1991 borders, including Crimea, is the first part of that. After that, it's about justice. It's about creating a stronger environment so we don't have ecocide. It's about making certain that kidnapped children are returned. It's about guaranteeing security and safety for generations. And it has been laid out clearly. So ultimately, when only part of the story is discussed and when only part of the story is told, you get caught in a loop and you get caught in an information loop. And that's part of the Russians' plan for this global chaos is to just take away the facts and be able to spin a story that only makes sense in the minds of the Russians. Because if you look a little bit deeper and you look at the facts, you realize, wow, we do have a clear pathway to victory, and we understand what happens after Ukraine's victory as well. So I've completely sidetracked our conversation today, and we have not talked more about your meetings and your time in New York City with the Foreign Press Corps. Can you um, fill us in more on what your time in the in the States has entailed? We can do it one of two ways. If the audience wants to listen, uh, we can talk about it now. We can also talk about it next week if they want to get a little bit better sense as to what's happening inside the media sphere. Because ultimately, we have to look at it as two fronts. We are fighting the frontline war, the physical war against the Russians and the political war. That ties in together. The media war and the media front is wholly separate, albeit clearly intertwined and integral to victory. And ultimately, going to New York to speak at the Foreign Press Correspondence Awards was the culmination of more than a year of speaking with media members as a former member of the media and probably future member of the media, speaking to media members about the reality of what's happening, listening to the media about where they're coming from. We didn't just show up to speak at an awards ceremony. We did extensive briefings to freelance journalists. 
We did extensive briefings to the National Press Club, to members of the Foreign Press Correspondence uh, Organization. We also briefed several large organizations, one that I mentioned, which was the New York Times. Went to the New York Times building to speak with them. If we don't understand, Lisa, what the media is seeing, how can we provide what's necessary, not in the sense of what they should write, but in the sense of what they need from us access-wise, what they need from us through open lines of communication, and ultimately what's necessary for democracy? Not every story that's written about Ukraine is going to be a glowing story, nor should it be, because the media are not propagandists. Leave all the glowing stories to military press. However, it's necessary to accept that there may be some very difficult stories that we have to confront that media members write in exchange for the world to understand that Ukraine values free press and is willing to grow on this bumpy road to a long-lasting democracy, one that is impervious to tyranny internally or externally. Because we have seen internal opportunities and opportunists like Yanukovych, who was the former president of Ukraine, who turned out to be nothing more than Putin's puppet, and in fact is living in exile in Russia right now. And how can we guarantee this will not happen in the ensuing years? Well, free press leads the way. And that's why this trip was so important. As important it was to speak on Capitol Hill, to speak with the elected officials and the policymakers, in some ways it was more important to speak with heroic journalists who are willing to endure death threats, willing to endure risk of limb and life, literally, risk kidnapping, as we have uh, several members of the press corps kidnapped and being held by Russia, and we have Austin Tice being held in Syria for more than 10 years, going on 11 years now. And if we don't point this out, that's truly when tyranny thrives. It's like the mushrooms in the forest. Without sunlight, they're able to spread, thrive, grow, and then all of a sudden you realize all the beautiful landscape's been destroyed by these poisonous mushrooms. If we're able to trim the branches, trimming the branches may be a little bit painful, but in the end, it allows for this uh, amazingly strong and vibrant ecosystem to to prevail. And in this case, the ecosystem is known as democracy. Well, I want to use that as a teaser for next week, because I do think we do need to do a deep dive into the media, because it's obviously something that we talk about at Resolute Square a lot. And it is, is largely the reason for our existence because um, the media is doing an insufficient job domestically with what the U.S. is facing. And they're certainly uh, struggling with portraying uh, Ukraine accurately and, and even more importantly, in a way that the American people can really understand, I don't see enough context for people to understand um, just how well the battle is going in Ukraine, the successes that are happening in Ukraine, but what it means to not give Ukraine what it needs and how how fragile that is for the Ukrainians and and for the entire free world. Um, So, yes, let's talk media next time. I would love that.
Sounds good. Then make sure all those who are listening now, make sure to tune in next week to Resolute Square to the Zero Line with Sarah Ashton Cirillo, hosted by Lisa Seneca. Ultimately, media matters in every way. And when media doesn't do their job or is unable to do their job, freedom withers. However, it's also imperative on us to demand that the journalists who are out there and and have the proverbial or literal microphones to make sure that they stand up before it's too late. The media is our first line of defensive freedom. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah, for being here this week. Follow the Zero Line, subscribe to it. It is on YouTube and on all the platforms. Please also follow Enemies List and That Trippy Show and join us every Tuesday night for Strategy Session. Uh, congratulations to Joe Trippy. Make sure you listen to his podcast on the anniversary of a seismic win in Alabama against one of the most horrific theocrats that had popped up on the U.S. political scene. Joe Trippy helped Doug Jones become a U.S. senator and in some ways staved off even a worse outcome than we would be looking at today. So thank you, Joe Trippy. And congratulations on the anniversary of his win along with Senator Doug Jones of Alabama. Bravo. I'm so glad you mentioned that. All right, everybody, we will see you, talk to you next Thursday. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Lisa. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Zero Line, a podcast brought to you by Resolute Square. Resolute Square's mission is to inform, lead, and connect. And the Zero Line is one of the tools that followers of Resolute Square can use to fight back against tyranny while championing democracy. Please like and subscribe to the Zero Line wherever you podcast and follow us on Twitter at Resolute Square or visit ResoluteSquare.com. Thanks once more for hanging out at the Zero Line.